Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. This is your host, Brandon Laws. Today, I have Craig Bryant with me today. He is the founder and CEO of KinHR.com. They're a cloud-based software platform that manages onboarding, employee data and files. They do employee reviews and time off in a web-based exchange that an entire team will enjoy using. Craig, it's awesome to have you. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Nice to be here. So today we're going to talk about a topic that I've actually never really touched on in this podcast, which is remote workers and just kind of managing that whole process. At KinHR.com, you are 100% remote if I understand correctly. So I'd love to kind of hear about how you started the company, your role, and then really the decision to make it a, a complete remote workforce. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So KinHR is a daughter company of a company I co-founded 10 years ago called We Are Mammoth. Uh, we started out in Chicago, just three partners. We had, were actually celebrating our 10th anniversary this month. Um, and for the first five years or so of our business, we were all in an office in Chicago. We've got a great office still today, but you're right. Uh, the We Are Mammoth team, the Kin team, and then our other product, Dundun, which is an issue tracking tool for software teams. Um, all these teams, these 30 people are 100% remote. So over the course of the last five years or so, we've moved to a 100% distributed company. Uh, we started hiring engineers five, yeah, five years ago. We had a couple of people who wanted to leave Chicago, move somewhere else. And meanwhile, we were trying to hire people uh, inside of Chicago. And it's a really competitive market for software engineers. So we started looking outside of the state. Uh, we found people in Texas and Florida, all around the country who were happy where they were. And really, when we looked at it, there's really no reason for them to have to be in Chicago. So we kind of took the leap, uh, installed some infrastructure like a secure VPN and a few, you know, human resources processes uh, to help ensure that, you know, they had a good onboarding experience. And then, you know, the folks who are still in Chicago that, you know, we had to start using video conferences and start being more inclusive, inclusive of people who are not in the physical office with us. So over the course of five years or so, everybody else who we've hired has been somewhere else. A couple of other people, including my two business partners, Mike and Kawei, they've all moved away as well. So yeah, every day we have our stand-up meetings. We're uh, 30 people from these three teams, you know, dialing into a web conference, telling everybody what we're up to. Uh, and that's, that's how we run our organization and operations. So did you actually start 100% remote or was it this organic kind of evolution through and building the business when you're hiring people to your point like you you had talented people that you you just 
had to sort of seek elsewhere and that, that maybe not necessarily in your region. Did it just sort of happen organically or do you actually declare and say, you know what, we're going to start these, these, this company and we're going to just hire employees and, and they're going to work remote? We had an office that was chock. We designed an office and built it out and it was so full <laughs> of people that we almost had, wow. had to move to a bigger space. And coincidentally, that's the time when we we're having hiring challenges inside of Chicago and we started going remote. I would call it more of a transition, though, because, you know, it's taken a solid five years for us to become a fully distributed company. When did telecommuting remote workers, when did this become sort of a mainstream thing? Sure. I think for companies like ours, it's got to be since the Internet has been so pervasive because there's really, again, for design technology companies like ours, uh, it's almost better to be remote. You know, we're, we cover more time zones and whatnot. And because of the internet and because of cloud hosting, um, every all of our infrastructure is distributed as well. I think if you reach back a little bit farther, there's the Clean Air Act of 1990 that helped sort of poke and prod larger corporations to explore telecommuting to cut down on you know the exhaust and commute times of all of their employees. It's like J.C. Penney opening tele telecommuting call like call centers, you know, like hiring moms, uh, stay-at-home moms who, you know, had a few hours to burn each afternoon, you know, when their kids are at school to do some customer service calls and whatnot. If you, if you reach way, way back, you know, there's um, farming, you know, farming in agriculture in the United States has obviously been around a long time. And, uh, you know, getting all that stuff to market and wholesalers and all that, you can look at that as telecommuting in a way too. Do you think is like in your opinion, you're in the tech industry, is probably becoming more widely adopted in, in your industry than any others? But do you think this is like a, just an industry agnostic phenomenon where the remote worker kind of workforce is going to just keep happening and it's going to become more widely adopted by all sorts of companies? I think it could, whether it will or not, I don't know. I don't know statistics about, you know, like over overarching trends in our U.S. economy here. It's definitely easier for companies like ours working in software where we have joint code bases that we're working on. Um, And again, it's sort of asynchronous project management that we have. You know, you go off for a few days and work and then you come back and check in. So it it is a little bit easier to fit that form into our type of company. you know, the banking industry, there's a lot of security mm-hmm. requirements and reasons to still have people come on site for a, a large number of industries where I don't, you know, it's possible to work a couple of days a week, do like a flex time thing. But for a lot of industries, no, I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I, I mean, and you see like big companies that were, were adopting policies of just having remote workforces. Yahoo comes to mind where they, they ha- I don't know if all of their employees could be remote, but they sort of shifted. Marissa Meyer, the CEO, sort of pulled that back and said, you know what, we need to bring everybody back in. Do you see that sort of shifting for a lot of the, the, the larger employers where the security and all those other things could be an issue where like, you know, a smaller base business, they may be able to be more nimble and, and have remote workers? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I think it could be. I, I don't know that Yahoo is a, an example necessarily, especially at that time of why it wouldn't work for a large company. I think Yahoo is an example, perhaps, is like that was a watershed 
moment in time for Yahoo where they had to sort of cull their herd, I believe, and ensure that the people who were still working at the organization were dedicated to their mission and willing to come back in, you know, creatively dig back in and be on site and keep those jobs. So I think it, it was a little bit, there was a little bit more at play than just telecommuting isn't working for Yahoo. They had some larger cultural hurdles that they had to clear and, you know, telecommuting just happened to be one way to solve them. Yeah, and so that's a good point. Like, let's bring it back to your companies and, and the development and kind of the decision to make it 100% remote. What sort of things were you thinking of? Like, you know, you mentioned security, the creative, like, collaboration. Like, were the, what were the, some of the things in your head that was like, we need to get over these hurdles and we can solve these issues. We can make this thing work. Sure. Uh, new hire onboarding is mm. a huge one. Uh, again, it, around the time where we had to grow, we also had to make sure that the people who were hiring, you know, engineers, people are expensive. It costs a lot of money to onboard somebody. And to do so when they're not in the same room with you is an even bigger challenge. So, you know, making sure that the experience that this person has in Arkansas or wherever they may be is still a quality onboarding experience. That first six months, they're so important to that, that uh, employee feeling a sense of, you know, commitment, uh, feeling a sense of camaraderie with, again, a distributed company. So we started doing things like, you know, automating our, our, our checklist. That's why Kin was born ultimately. It's like we wanted to have an onboarding program that was online. So to set expectations, again, for people who were not on site, we needed to make sure, for example, that their connection to our office in Chicago was speedy as well. We do some secure web app, app, uh, web app development. There's a lot of data that we have to pass around. It needs to be secure, needs to fly under SSL. So it was a little bit of a challenge and it took a few years for us to get like fiber optic uh, uh, connections to our building to ensure that our employees who are somewhere else have just as speedy a connection to our office as someone who's sitting in a conference room. So how do you really control like the the speed? Because it, wouldn't it it would be determined on what they have at their home? Do you have certain requirements at their home? Like how do you control some of those things? Definitely, there's there's a lot of there's a lot. I mean, we have people in Florida who are experiencing all these tropical storms. So yeah. obviously, having people all over the place, we're we're sort of exposed to natural disasters. And well, Comcast isn't as fast in. <laughs> whatever Alabama as it is up here in Chicago, which I think in the past few years, all of that is really normalized so that we can say, okay, we have this huge pipe coming in and going out of our central office in Chicago. Um, and then, you know, everybody somewhere else, wherever they may be, has got a broadband connection that's like 50 megabytes up and down. You know, it's like, so the past few years, all these these cable companies are starting to compete for that business and they're driving the quality of that product up. So yes, sometimes it's been an issue like today, you know, sometimes, you know, our internet connections drop for a couple seconds and, you know, <laughs> there's a little bit of intermittency in our, in our work day, but overall it hasn't been an issue. And for us, we've also decentralized our Chicago office. So it's more like a co-working space uh, than a headquarters for us these days. 
on the the policy or I guess philosophy side of the world where you need to have you know a set of guidelines or rules about what people can and cannot do do you have any rules uh, or you know policies about remote workers in, in the handbook or something that says you know you have to do this this and this and um, or you know have you just trusted people to to do their work remotely or how does that all work one important thing that I talk to our new hires about is a sense of online presence. So since you're not sitting next to me at a desk or in an office in Chicago, uh, you need to express your presence in some other way that is not physical. Meaning like all the chat applications that we use and the email response times and all of that, that is a way to express your presence and the fact that you are there, you're available to do customer support, to talk with a, a coworker or a client. So presence is a huge thing. And we say, okay, we've got normal business hours, regardless of your time zone, you got to be available during those times. Other things like making sure that, like, for example, my house, I've got the second floor to myself and I've got a little sign on my door. When my (laughs) kids come home from school, if it's flipped to the red side, it's like, don't come upstairs now. It's on the (laughs) green side. It means, yeah, come up and give me a hug, you know, when you get home. Um, So you know, people got to carve out a space for themselves. It helps them create a mental separation between their work life and their home life, which are, you know, one and the same physically. When you were growing the business and you were hiring employees, did you ever have a moment, because you did say at one point, employees worked in an office. Did you ever have a transition point where some people were in the office and then you started hiring remote? And then there was like sort of a combination of both people in the office and remote and you know how did that if that in fact did happen did you have any issues with people who were like well I want to work remote this isn't fair <laughs> uh yeah we totally did. like <laughs> like I said like both of my partners are they're gone now my my uh one partner Mike Sanders I think he took the dive first he moved to Austin Texas he's like screw this I'm out of yeah, here he's like well I can go too um, and then Kauai, my other partner, he moved to San Francisco with his wife. They had a newborn and he's loving out it out there as well. Yeah, there, there are still five people, including myself, who work in Chicago. Of those five people, I think three go in regularly to the office. It is the lowest number it's ever been and it has gone down over the years. So it's definitely been a transition. You know, we had before we had full-time remote hires that we went out and said, okay, you stay in Texas, we'll you know, work with you from there. We had a couple of people who moved away from Chicago. They wanted to keep their jobs. We wanted them, but they didn't like Chicago anymore. They wanted to go to Portland or back to Florida. So Grant and Jennifer are the two people I'm thinking of right now. So we had to find out what that experience would be like for them. Uh, meanwhile, we had a full-time remote experience for those new, other new hires who were never in the office. So they never knew our office culture. They were never going to miss that. So we've had sort of three brands of experience for the folks like me who are still in Chicago, for the folks who were in Chicago and transitioned away and we supported them, said, you're great people, keep your jobs, just go where you're happiest. And then the third is people who we've hired in Florida or Texas or California, wherever they are, who have never worked on site in Chicago. And it's been unique and we have to sort of tailor that experience for each of them. Did you ever have to go through conversations with those that were 
actually working in the office where you were so used to having them there that you're like, well, I can't imagine it any other way. And maybe had some challenging conversations with them about like, okay, well, let's like, let's look at your job and maybe this could work and, and, and try it out. Or like, how did you just sort of evaluate all that? Totally. I mean, two, I want to say two or three weeks ago, I was, I was in our Chicago office. And to be frank with you, I work remotely now too, because the people who I interface mostly with on a day in day out basis, they're not in Chicago. Um, so it makes a lot of sense for me to work here and experience our company the way that, you know, these, these other folks do. Uh, but two or three weeks ago, I was in our Chicago office and we did have that conversation and it's not the first time we've had it. It is different. And when you have 20 people in a physical space, there's serendipity, there's little, you know, sort of groups, of people who go to launch and, you know, there's this, real sort of human sense of community that's very much na it's natural you know that's the kind of organisms we are we're we like our community and we we like to get together we like to go out to restaurants and bars and um you know at a community events and whatnot so you know for the folks who are still in chicago yeah it is a it is a challenge and it is a transition um it's for me just subjectively it's been tough because i co-founded this company 10 years ago and it was a big beehive of activity in Chicago and so I've had to come to grips again with the fact that the people who I work with most are no longer around so I may as well start to sort of draw from the remote culture that we've nurtured um, and try to sort of reevaluate the way that I'm working with my own company now. I want to get more into the details of, of how you actually were able to implement this. You, you talked about like speed and internet and making sure everybody has, you know, quality connection. But how do you handle the equipment piece? I don't know if you touched on that at all, but mm -hmm. do you have like standards around uh, maybe you buy equipment and then they use it at home or do you give them allowance and they buy their own? Like, how does that all work? Totally. Uh, we, <laughs> we buy machines. We buy nice Macs brand new mm. Apple Macs, which bothers some of our .NET and Windows developers a little bit. <laughs> oh, we, a little bit. <laughs> we buy these beautiful machines. Uh, we, we set them up in Chicago, we being our, our IT, um, our T guy, IT guy uh, named Amir. Uh, he manages that, gets everything that that particular role or person needs on their machine, and then ships it out to them. Uh, we send the screens, and then we can do remote IT support with them as well. If we need to uh, terminate somebody, it's the same thing. We we order FedEx labels and they have to take their thing, you know, their machine to the FedEx drop off and it gets boxed up and then sent back to us. And then out of the box, once everything's set, set up, what sort of tools are you using um, for collaboration and just, you know, normal, normal days of work? Uh, we use a tool called Slack, which you've probably, mm -hmm. probably heard of. Uh, Absolutely. We were hip chat fans for a long time. Uh, but because of some of the on-time challenges, that the, uh, online challenges that they were having, uh, we moved over to Slack. Uh, both tools are fantastic. Um, we use that as the almost like the persistent communication tool. So anything that you know might be like swiveling around your chair in the office and talking to a coworker, that's what we use Slack for. So instant messaging, group mm -hmm. messaging is huge for us and we cannot run our remote organization without it video conferencing so we use google hangouts a ton for one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks even small group 
uh, video conferences will use Google for, uh, so Google Hangouts. Uh, for the large conferences, we use GoToMeeting. Um, so when we have to have like 30 people dialed in and we just, like GoToMeeting has got, got their sort of bandwidth um, things really dialed in. So it's a good experience for everybody. We use Basecamp. Uh, we've used Basecamp since almost day one, maybe six months into starting the company. We started using it, and it has been great to help us stay out of email and to keep <laughs> all of our communication centralized online and available for anybody. Uh, again, sometimes remote companies are a little asynchronous, so someone may step away for a few hours and then come back. Well, we use Basecamp so that they can you know, catch up on any conversations that they may have missed. What other tools are we using? I'm looking at my task bar down below. I mean, obviously, email. We're, what do you use for email? Uh, we're, we're all on Google, so every, every team so can, is using Google. Yeah. And I imagine that when you're communicating externally, you just use email, I would, I would assume. Uh, yeah, well... Strangely enough, like all of our, you know, client and customer support, like so our consulting clients for We Are Mammoth, uh, they need to use the Basecamp tool too. So oh, email, okay. we, we like to sort of dial them into our culture, tell them why, and then yeah. get them up and running. And they, they love it too, um, you know, for the same reasons that we love it. I think that's the fascinating thing about the just being everything like digital is that you have these tools available that help centralize communication. Whereas like, you know, if I, you know, I, I work uh, at a company where most of us work in an office where we may have conversations in the hallway, but none of that's documented. So like your point about, you know, turn around in your chair and having a quick conversation, that, that's all, you know, it's all documented in either Slack or whatever tool you're using. So to, to be able to, you know, search for it, use a hashtag or whatever you need to do to find a certain communication about a certain project or something. It just seems like it's more searchable and probably you don't spend a lot of time looking for stuff. I mean, has that had been your, your experience? Yeah. You don't, you don't lose breadcrumbs of conversation so much. For, so awesome. <laughs> for be, well, yeah, that. for better or worse, you know, but like uh, two, <laughs> two examples come to mind a couple of weeks ago. So Lisa, who started as our director of marketing. She started a, a couple of weeks ago. She flew into Chicago so we could spend some time one-on-one -on -one, um, to sort of get her up and running. She was sitting right next to me in the office, but we were still using Slack to communicate. And I realized like, huh, I could just look at her and talk to her too. <laughs> but it's like, it's so ingrained in our culture. Mm -hmm. It's like to, even when we're on site together, we're still using these tools um, just because it's it's second nature. Again, for, for better or worse, I think it's better for for our business. Um, sometimes it detracts from the real human, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations that we should be having in the office, which we did subsequently have. There's a there's a couple of things I want to pull the string on that a little bit. Uh, you mentioned just been better for your business. I want to talk about the productivity side. How do you how do you measure productivity um, using remote workers? And then I mean, it sounds like through these tools you're just more efficient in general. So maybe that's how it's sort of impacted. But really, how do you sort of just measure the the output and and that people are actually working and doing their jobs? So measurement. Uh, is through things like the online presence that I talked about before, mm -hmm. making sure people are, you know, they feel accountable, that they understand the jobs that they need to do. They understand things like their deadlines and the tasks and who their team is and whatnot. So just making sure everybody's informed. 
about the work that they need to do. In terms of like being remote, well, I mean, the fact that I don't have to spend two hours every day going six miles to our office, it saves me two hours a day. And I, to be frank with you, I don't use that extra two hours a day to always work. Like I yeah. use it to have breakfast and help get lunch ready and get the kids out the door for school. And then I like to ride my bike a lot. So it frees me up to you know, to almost not work a little bit more. So taking a few more liberties like that helps. We do measure. We use a tool called Harvest for... Yeah, very familiar with that tool. They're totally cool, based in New York. Sean out there, I know him. We've been using Harvest forever as well. Um, So every project, at pretty much every hour and minute, gets tracked in there so that we can... We need to build clients, so we need to know how much and and whatnot. So we get a sense of like actual, you know, it would be, I think it's betraying it a little bit, but to say like productivity, we get a sense of productivity by the number of hours that folks are billing to their projects as well. I think though, overall, we do have to sort of qualify productivity a little bit different. We can't say, well, this person worked 10 hours and that's 10 hours of productivity. It's really like, are they learning? Are they progressing? Uh, are they fulfilled? Are they meeting their deadlines? Then everything else we just got to kind of let loose of, you know, it's like, well, maybe somebody is meeting all of their job expectations in 30 hours a week and they just bought themselves 10 extra hours. That's fantastic when that happens. Did I hear that data point that you just kind of slid in there a little bit ago about it takes you two hours to go six miles. Is that, is it's, that, is that real in Chicago? It's terrible. Yeah. So that's unbelievable. And so I imagine that there's a lot of intangible benefits that you get from working remote where you're miserable sitting in traffic. And I mean, how do you be productive other than like, you know, being on the phone or something while you're, while you're driving, whereas like you may be happier at home and it could just probably change your demeanor versus like you get into the office after an hour of driving and you're just like totally burned out. Yeah. Um, I think it has its benefits. A commute does have its benefits if it's not like stop and go traffic and you're yelling into your phone at someone or something <laughs> like that. Like that's that's terrible. And I don't know that anybody on our team has to deal with that. Um, other than one fella, Amir, who does, he comes from uh, out by Midway Airport every day into the office and he does have to deal with some some travel. What a commute does, which is something that's important for remote employees to try to recreate for themselves, is a sense of that sense of division. Like I am going to work and you have a buffer, right? So you may use that hour if you're on a train to read, to decompress, to sleep, if you've got kids, or to, you know, catch up on a little work when you don't have internet, like to, you know, write a blog post or something like that. Uh, so I don't think it's like completely saying like, yeah, you don't have to commute. So your life is that much better because I think a commute still does add that in. So things like, again, what I talked about earlier, creating a sort of a physical buffer between where you live at home and where you work. Folks going to a cafe to work for a few hours is a great way to sort of exit one room and enter another psychologically for a little while. I want to ask you about relationships. There's a lot of people out there that are really worried that, you know, with tech, technological advances, the fact that we all have smartphones, we're just like so glued to our our tools, our technology, and, and we're like looking at screens versus interacting. 
since you're a remote workforce, you have people exclusively working on tools, looking into a screen, but a lot of times you're collaborating. What is like the, the change in the relationships been? Have you seen a change? Have you seen deeper connections? You know, like what, I'm kind of curious how that's all gone. In the past year and a half, we've hired people completely remotely. Uh, when during sort of like the transition period, which I mentioned, you know, it's still kind of happening a little bit. We would fly people in during their final interviews or, wow. um, and we still bring some people in on site to, to start their job. Well, we have a few people who have never even been to Chicago um, until this summer when we had our annual get together uh, at our office. How that changes. Yeah. I mean, you, like I said, you become the person who you are in those tools, you know, in those communication tools, um, your accountability to your team. I don't think that that's degraded at all by having a remote company. If anything, it's like the values are that much more clear in terms of like who you are socially, who you are offline, who you are, like what your life is like, your private life. Yeah, we, we don't get a lot of that uh, because you know, I'm not going to Austin to spend time with the people who are down in Texas. So I'm not spending three or four days with them in their social network outside of work. So yeah, we, we do lose some of that. Whether that's a positive or a negative, I don't know. I, I think the people who work for our companies, they're here to work, right? And they're, they're good people, they're great communicators everybody's got a sense of humor, you know? So we, we do still have these relationships with our coworkers. It's definitely does not feel like a bunch of freelancers who are just dialing in for a couple hours per day. Have you ever required, maybe it's kind of written in a policy or an understanding, but do you have a requirement around, you know, how many video chats you have to do a week where you're actually interacting with people face to face or, you even fly into a location where you're all actually together? We do video conferences every day, team-wide. Wow. That's uh, amazing. And now that the, yeah, it's a quick 15-minute call. Uh, we do that. It's Now that the team's a little bit bigger, frankly, it's a little it's harder. It, yeah. yeah, it gets a little cumbersome. So it's starting to sort of fragment up a little bit based on the project or the team that you're on, which I think everybody appreciates. Um, but every day at... 11.45 Central, everybody stops what they're doing. They hop on to GoToMeeting and we go around the proverbial room and say what we're doing, you know, what dependencies we have on other people. Um, and then on Fridays, we extend that out an extra half hour and we go around the room twice. The first time we talk about the work that we're doing. Second time we talk about larger things going on with the companies like milestones or project launches, whatever. And then everybody says a little bit of something that's going on from their, from their non-work life, right? So what are you up to this weekend? Or, you know, how was your kid's birthday on Tuesday or that type of thing? So that dials us in a little bit and exposes us to the non-work life of our coworkers. As we kind of wrap up, I kind of wanted to get your take. Where do you see this all going? Like, do you see more companies adopting this long-term uh, what do you think it's going to do sort of the economy in general, if you have any sort of thoughts to that? I think more companies can do it. Um, I don't know that a lot of companies necessarily need to should. do it, right, <laughs> or, or should. It takes a lot of trust, and that's something that 
doesn't come overnight, you know, especially as a company owner. Some t- at some point, you just got to go, you know what, this company is not me. It's the, you know, the sum of all the people doing the work day, day in and day out. I am part of a network of companies. So there's a great company called Bureau of Digital, and they run these events like Owner Camp or Operations Camp. They have a digital project management summit. Uh, but we get to connect with all these companies that are fairly similar. They're in the same industry as us. They do software design, visual design, branding, you know, marketing, that type of thing. Um, I don't know what percentage of those companies are remote, but pretty much every one of them has at least a flex time policy and a few employees who are working somewhere else. So compared to a few years ago, yeah, I think there is more of it. And as more tools like KinHR become available and payroll is something that is largely automated, there's really no reason to have people in the office. You're not getting paper checks anymore. Your onboarding experience and sign up for benefits and all of that, that's all digital now. So really, um, it comes down to that. Operationally, any company these days in our industry can be distributed. If you're, I want to give you kind of the last word, but if you um, are speaking to another entrepreneur like yourself who's really considering making their workforce remote, what what sort of things would you tell them to to look for in getting started in this whole process? I think buy in from people <laughs> who are on yeah. who are on site. Uh, an interesting story. We have a blog. I did a blog series with. Um, Emily Powers, who works at a company called Fresh Tilled Soil out in Boston, and they're largely on site. So most of their employees are in the, you know, in the Boston metropolitan area, but they also have a flex time and a couple of flex time policy and a couple of remote folks, including Emily. Um, One interesting thing that she said and what we wrote about on our blog series is the fact that once they made that decision, they said, okay, you got to make sure that everybody feels included in the conversation. So if you're having a meeting with four out of five team members in a conference room and the fifth one is in New York City, well, that is a remote meeting then. So everybody needs to start sort of accommodating for that. That takes a little bit of getting used to because you, frankly, you forget it. You forget that there's somebody on the phone there or looking at you on the screen. So just to be patient, to try it out, and to make sure that you're measuring the employee's experience quantitatively, uh, both in-house and then remotely as well. Find out what's working, what's not, and then work to improve it. Craig, this has been an awesome discussion. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Are there any links, resources, um, or anything else you want to mention to listeners about KinHR, about you, about anything else you're up to? Sure. Uh, so KinHR.com, we've got a blog uh, up there. So KinHR.com slash blog. You can link to it uh, right on KinHR.com. We have that blog series with Emily Power. So we wrote specifically about remote working and what's worked what doesn't. So you can go check that out um, on wearemammoth.com. Also, I've written in the past five years a few times about our experience, about the fact that we try to encourage people to work wherever they're happiest. So look around. And there are a lot of companies out there who are you know, helping, um, helping with that culture and help get people set up with tools and to help them through that transition. So you can Google it. It's a big trend right now. 
Amazing. Uh, Craig Bryant, founder, CEO of KenHR.com. Thanks for being on the podcast. Really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.